With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is a work. This is fun. You know, this is this is what it's all about. There, there's no reason to sleep in. You know, I, I don't, uh, you know, I think sleeping in, I just, a little bit, a little bit of being lazy. It was, it was a lot of fun. You got me, you got me uh, sitting here with goosebumps. Hey, I'll tell you this, I ain't going nowhere. He's just as crazy as I am. I may not win all my matches, and I've had a lot of downs more than I've had ups, but um, I'll tell you this, there's never been a time where I haven't, you know, I haven't threw it all out there. It goes quick, and I'll tell you what, you don't want to be done with your career and have any regrets. It was my last seven minutes, or however long it took, that I knew I was going to fight as hard as I possibly could um, to win that match. And so you never want to be labeled lazy. I think that's one of the worst things you can be labeled is being lazy. You know, that's what I love to do. I want to stand out. I want to. I want to get in your face. I want to beat you up. Welcome to episode 21 of the Sudden History Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host, Earl Smith. How does everyone like the new intro? I remember saying prior to the John Reader interview that I'd probably be able to make an intro with only his quotes. That's what I ended up doing. In case you didn't figure out, the dude is intense. I love it. Okay, well we had a break to try out some new stuff with Kyle Dake last week. Well, I like how it played out. We're going back to the tried-and-true format for Sudden History, a big badass interview. And here we go with a true badass himself, Lance Palmer. Welcome to Sudden History. Our guest today was a four-time NCAA All-American and NCAA runner-up for Ohio State. Next month, he will be fighting to regain his World Series of Fighting Featherweight Championship. Let's welcome Lance Palmer. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. All right, so Lance and I go way back. He probably doesn't even realize it, but in the 2010-2011 season, he was the assistant wrestling coach at Virginia Tech. I've always lived in Virginia. Um, at that point in time, there was a huge duel between Tech and Rutgers. Uh, both teams were uh, emerging teams in the top ten, and Rutgers pretty much kicked their butt. Um, that was a Friday night duel, and on Sunday, the Hokies were going to wrestle Maryland. So on that Saturday, I went up to Maryland to watch their duel with the Naval Academy, and at one point walks in uh, Virginia Tech assistant coaches Tony Roby, Nate Yetzer, and Lance Palmer. Um, I had known Roby and Yetzer for a few years at that point, so they came and sat with me and talked. After the duel, um, they needed a ride back to the hotel, so I gave everyone a ride over to the hotel. Hence, Lance and I, we go way back. <laughs> nice. Um, okay, so as I alluded to earlier, on July 30th in Everett, Washington, you'll be fighting Alexandre Almeida to regain the World Series of Fighting Featherweight Championship. Uh, take us back through the first fight with him. It was a very close decision. That was a guy that most people figured you'd beat. How will it be different this time around as well? The biggest difference this time around, I think, is um... – our coaching situation and our training situation is uh, 
we went through kind of a rocky time period as a team at Team Alpha Male during, uh, you know, September all the way through uh, pretty much January, and my fight was in December. So I was kind of playing the, the coach slash teammate role, and um, going into my fight, I wasn't really recovered. I wasn't, you know, there's a lot of overtraining that went on, and the week before that, I was in Vegas uh, cornering three of my teammates, and if anybody knows what it's like to corner somebody for a fight, it's very stressful, and uh, you're doing a lot of things for the teammate because the whole point of them is being there that week is for them to get ready for the fight and kind of relax and keep everything as calm as possible while all the cornermen are kind of doing all the work for them, doing all the paperwork, helping them get whatever food they need for the week, doing everything basically just to make them feel comfortable. So that was kind of my my whole week before my fight. Instead of focusing on my fight and, and relaxing, and I usually, you know, the Friday before my fight, I usually get a uh, massage, and then that whole weekend I relax, and then, uh, you know, I usually do a run or something on Sundays just to get a sweat in and kind of keep my body moving, and I go to float therapy and uh, do a float session in my in the uh, deprivation tank. So there's a lot of things that went into that week that were kind of stressful for me. So I went into my whole fight week um, overtrained, not recovered at all, and that was the main thing for the fight. And a lot of people could see it in the fight. I, I wasn't myself in the fight. I wasn't really attacking like I usually do. I didn't have that extra energy that I usually have. And um, you know, that's kind of all it was really. I, I trained perfectly for the fight. I did all the, the strategy was all on point going into the fight. Just, uh, actually executing it was a different story when it got to that point. Okay. So the nickname is the party. There's got to be a backstory behind that. how did you come up with the name? Uh, well, a lot of it, uh, Uriah kind of gave me the, the nickname kind of threw it out there, but he heard a story from someone back at Ohio state. Um, my freshman year, we had an athlete meeting with all the athletes and the athletic director and everyone. And it was obviously I was a freshman, so I didn't really know on campus where I was supposed to be. So uh, I was showing up a little late and I walked in the the room and I said, I'm here for the gangbang. And, and obviously when you're 18, 19 year old kid, you, you know, you think that that's funny stuff to do, but, uh, you know, I just got, I kind of got a, a stern look from Tom Ryan and, you know, he was, uh, he just looked me down all the way to the back of the room where I sat down and, you know, he, we had a talk afterwards and, you know, that was really it. It wasn't really anything I got reprimanded for, but, you know, people thought it was funny, but it wasn't really something I should have said during that. But that's just kind of always been my personality, trying to have fun, make light of every situation that could be a bad situation or, you know, showing up late, you know, you're the only person in the front of the room and it's, you know, you're nervous or whatever, walking to the back of the room. So you got to say something to break the ice. And uh, that was kind of it. So that's a story Faber heard about me when I was in college. And that's kind of how he came up with the party. But I'm just a, a person who likes to have fun, likes to have a good time. And then, uh, you know, the, the, the whole thing for me is if people are laughing or if I'm laughing, I'm, you know, that's when life's good. People are too serious in life, I feel. And uh, people make, you know, they make things too stressful for themselves and work or in just in life in general and in relationships. I, I think things should be uh, a little more lighthearted. Obviously, you have to be serious about certain things in certain situations. 
need to be serious. Like when I go in the cage, it's serious. That's when, you know, the party clicks over and then, you know, I turn into the unstoppable fighter that I am and the person that I've always been since I started wrestling and just having that attitude of, uh, you know, being dominant and everything else. So I know when to turn it on and off, but uh, overall, I just like to have a good time and like to, you know, I always like to be having fun. Life's too short to always be serious or, you know, have a negative attitude. Yeah, judging by some of the pictures from, you know, Twitter and Instagram, it seems like that's a common theme among, you know, all the team alpha male guys. Um, so going back to the beginning of your MMA career, you know, of course you have an incredible base to build off of with your wrestling career. What are the other skills associated with MMA was most difficult to learn? You know, boxing, jujitsu, kickboxing. Um, I don't really know which one was most difficult because I learned, I started learning everything at the same time. It wasn't like I did one strategy and I went and learned a different martial art and then, uh, worked my way in. I kind of threw myself into it wholeheartedly when I moved to Sacramento five years ago. And, uh, Every day we were learning something different, whether it was Muay Thai, boxing, jiu-jitsu, uh, working, working on wrestling, helping other guys in the gym who uh, didn't have the same background that I've had or didn't really have the same skills that I have. Um, so going every day, every day was kind of like I never had time to really sit down and think like, oh, this is really hard to learn. I think once, once you start thinking something's difficult to learn, it becomes more difficult. I think it's more making something simplified to the point where it's, okay, I just do this if this guy does this, or I just have to do this. If you make it simple for yourself, I think it becomes, you become better at it just by simplifying it for yourself instead of making everything. So, you know, people have things like in your boxing, if you're, you know, throwing a bunch of combos and this and that, but honestly, when you're you're in a fight, it's all instinct. So, you know, in your training, you have to simplify things down to where if you're in a firefight in the cage and guys winging punches at you, you can't you can't just break and, and try and shoot a takedown. It's got to be something where you can defend those shots and throw throw strikes back and then go for your takedown if that's what you want. But I think the boxing part of it was the most difficult because my I'm a left-handed fighter and I'm a left-handed wrestler. But for those people that don't know, the difference there, the difference mainly is your stance. I'm a left leg mm-hmm. lead for wrestling, and if you're a lefty in boxing, your right leg is going to lead. So the stance change was a little different for me, but when I stand in the orthodox or right-handed fight stance for boxing, it's comfortable for me, but it's still, you know, it's not as comfortable as my left-handed stance. So trying to decipher which stance I really wanted to be was probably the hardest part in the beginning and and then using that to my advantage you know as being a southpaw there there's a good amount of southpaws out there uh for fighting but I think it's uh it's definitely a lot less than right-handed fighters so uh you know that's something that's actually an advantage I think in most parts of the fight game so quite a few of your team alpha male teammates are high-profile fighters in the UFC you know, I'm sure you're pretty happy at this time with uh, the World Series of Fighting is getting to the UFC or Bellator, you know, something that's a goal or that you aspire to? Being UFC champion is something that I've made as a goal since I first started fighting. Uh, before my very first fight, 
my first fight was May 21st, 2011, I'm pretty sure. And it was a fight for wrestling in Bakersfield, California. And before that fight even went down, I had a UFC belt as my background on my uh, my old computer. And that goal, that goal has never left my mind, and it's never really faded away. All these other accomplishments are great accomplishments. Like, I've won a you know a small professional title for UBC, which is an Ohio-based company. I won the RFA Fighting Featherweight title in 2013, which is a it's a feeder program for the UFC. And then I won the belt and defended the belt once for World Series of Fighting, and look to win the belt back and defend it again while I'm under this contract with World Series. So all these goals are great, but they obviously you know the one goal that I've always wanted to strive for is to be a UFC champion. So every day I work towards that. All these other goals are just stepping stones, honestly. And, um, you know, some people have goals where their goal in wrestling is to make it to the state tournament as a freshman in high school. My goal was to be a four-time state champion. In order to do that, it was to be a state champion as a freshman. And so kind of my goal is as winning, you know, being the UFC champion, uh, at some point in my career, all these are just goals to get to that goal. And, um, you know, I never forget that every day, all the sacrifice I put in everything, you know, once I do end up winning that UFC belt, it's going to be that much, you know, that much sweeter for me, but it's a long road to get there. Some people have a shorter road. Uh, for me, I've kind of taken the long road. It's, uh, it hasn't been easy. And, uh, you know, world series of fighting has been great to me and I love, uh, love fighting for them but i would like to fight more often and and kind of add to my skills more often than twice a year so uh you know that's something that i look to change hopefully by the end of this year so at what point did you realize that professional fighting could be a viable career option for you you know i always thought based on your build your physical aggressive style that you know you'd have a pretty easy transition i think when i talked to uriah faber when he was in Columbus, Ohio, doing a photo shoot in our wrestling room when I was a sophomore, I didn't really get to talk to him in depth that day, but I, you know, he, he did a little role, a little wrestling with Jaggers and, and, you know, it was, it was cool to watch because he was a fighter and, you know, he was a guy who was at the top of his game at that time. And, you know, this was like seven years ago and this was kind of just when things were getting popular with, uh, the WEC, which is the lightweights, you know, that was the best lightweight mm-hmm. in the world was the WEC at the time. And so I started watching the WEC and, you know, when I was a senior in high school, I was watching UFC and I was like, you know, me and my buddies went on a senior trip and we were watching a UFC fight that weekend at the beach house we were at in uh, Ocean City, Maryland. And, you know, I started grappling with one of my buddies. We didn't know anything, but, you know, I went and I grabbed him and choked him and just my wrestling alone I was like man I like you could beat up half the people you see on the street just with wrestling just like with my background of wrestling there's no reason I can't be a professional fighter if I put the time in like I did with my wrestling and add to all my skills so I mean it's uh you know I kind of always knew that that's what I wanted to do but I didn't really know it was a viable career until I spoke with Uriah Faber and uh he kind of he kind of opened that door for me because that's kind of why I took that job as assistant coach with Virginia Tech after I graduated because I wasn't too sure still that 
it was going to be a viable career for me. And, you know, it's a career for me now, but it's not always going to be there. So I always have to have the doors open for something else to come in. And, uh, you know, I've, I have a lot of ideas of things I want to accomplish and things I want to do from a business standpoint outside of MMA. So that's something that, you know, hopefully MMA can help me with financially. And, and that's kind of, that's kind of what you're supposed to do. You know, you can't fight forever. So you have to use some of the financial backing that you get from MMA to, to build your own businesses and kind of build your own, um, build yourself as a, you know, as a business. And that's kind of what Faber has done. And that's something I've watched him do the five years that I've lived here. And it's, uh, it's inspiring for sure. But, you know, when you see somebody do something, you want to do that better than they did it. So it's, uh, it's a lot to live up to because Faber has done a lot in his career in MMA and he's, he's doing a lot on the business side too. So it's, uh, it's awesome to see. Okay, so when I watch fights with my wife, you know, she doesn't follow the sport nearly as closely as I do. You know, if we see a few guys that we're not familiar with, we may root for someone based on their walkout music. Um, do you have something that's a Lance Palmer song, like Uriah has California Love. Other guys may use it, but he's kind of the first guy that you associate with it. Um, I don't really know if anyone has a song or if anyone thinks of a song for me um as far as like being my song but the song that i'm walking out to this fight is uh notorious thugs by biggie and bone thugs and the reason i'm walking out to that song and hopefully continue to walk out to that song for a long time is uh bone thugs are from cleveland and one of the best verses i've ever heard from any of their songs even though it's a biggie song one of their best verses from that is in that song, in my opinion. So that's kind of why um, I think Notorious Thugs is one of the songs that could be linked to my name in the future. Okay, I wish you could see my little notes that I have here because I do have, because I know you're a Cleveland guy, and I did have Bone Thugs, I did have Bone Thugs written down. So nice. We're, we're on the same page there. Awesome. Um, I'm going to swing back into your wrestling career. A question I like to ask all of our guests is, when and why did you begin wrestling? I began wrestling on my ninth birthday. Uh, I was doing American karate at the time, and I liked it, but it wasn't really anything that was a contact sport. It was more uh, about discipline. It was more about uh, learning a routine. You learned your kata, which is like your routine for that belt rank. And for me, it got boring. I did karate for four years. And I was just kind of getting sick of it. Uh, I was, I did well, well with it. I was a purple belt at the time. And, you know, I was just got sick of it, and I wanted to do something new. And my brother Colin was already wrestling, and he's three years younger than me, but he'd been wrestling for about a year and a half. And so my ninth birthday, my dad bought me a pair of wrestling shoes, and I went to uh, – it was at Mid Park High School in Cleveland, Ohio, and that was my very first practice. And – a lot of the kids I was wrestling with my age have been wrestling since they were five. So, you know, I was doing my best to keep up with them, but I was like, this is awesome. I was like, if I can catch these guys and pass these guys up in the next couple of years, I'll be on the right track. And for a mentality of a nine-year-old, now that I think about it, it's kind of crazy, but that's always been my competitive drive. So I think, you know, if it wasn't for those guys pushing me in the room at a young age, like, Mike Pasillo, I've wrestled with him since we were in the Mini Mustangs Club in Strongsville, Ohio, since 
I was nine years old and um you know then we ended up ending our my wrestling careers together at Ohio State uh other guys who I wrestled with at St. Ed's who grew up with me at the Strongsville Mini Mustangs Club like all those guys pushed to make me better just because you know they were they were my age but they'd been wrestling so much longer so I had to step my game up every day in the wrestling room and uh that's kind of why I started wrestling was the main reason was you know my brother was already doing it and uh I kind of got sick of karate but once I wrestled on the mat the first time, I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to be able to dominate somebody else one-on-one. So during your high school career, particularly your senior season, it was documented for the pinned documentary. Um, at that time, there weren't too many of these movies featuring wrestlers. You know, How was having the crew around you so much, and uh, how did you feel about the finished product? Uh, I think it was great. It was... Um, Honestly, for me, it wasn't even supposed to be like a movie, like a documentary style movie that people were able to buy in public. And that's not something we were aware of until it had happened. Um, I had a great relationship with those guys. I still do, the guys who did it. They actually did it for um, a master's degree at Ohio University for filmography, I think it was called. And so that's kind of why the documentary was started. It was supposed to be just like a short film documentary for his uh, master's degree. And after that, you know, they kind of, I felt kind of used at first because I was like, well, these guys are just using me and my high school team to make money off of us based on, you know, how well we did that year. And yeah, so it felt like, you know, we were being used a little bit for somebody to make money off of us with our success. And you can't write a better story than that, let alone have it actually happen and be documented as a documentary with our highs and the kid from Lakewood, his lows at the end of the year. And so my family was kind of, you know, pissed off about it a little bit when they first started selling it. And they're going to all the tournaments all over the country selling this movie and, and trying to make money off of us. Um but they did a great job with it. They did, you know, everything was great. They, uh, it's cool to have that, you know, as memories, you know, even though there's some things that were cut out and things that, you know, I wish we could have like a, like an extra cut of it. There was like 400 hours of tape that they had, I guess, that they had to break down into that documentary. And so, you know, something like that's actually, you know, now that I look back at it, it's really cool, but, um, you know, from the financial standpoint of it, too, it's like, you know, we've worked our butts off our whole lives, you know, and that was something that, that you can't get back is, you know, working that hard. And for them to to want to make money off of us, um, you know, off of something that us working hard and, you know, we're not getting paid to wrestle. We're not getting paid to do this or that. We're just doing it as high school kids. And then, you know, five years later, it comes out as they're selling it. That was something that I'm still kind of not happy with, but um, I love that people enjoy it. People, you know, people I see all the time at tournaments or people on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, hey, man, we watched Pin Movie. That was awesome. You were a beast. You guys worked so hard. Um, your dad's crazy. Your dad's hilarious, this, that. Your team was <laughs> awesome. Like, I got so many, like, positive things out of it, you know, and I, I'm glad it touches other people and other people can strive to be like that even though it only showed, you know, one season of my entire life. And so mm-hmm. that's that's something that's really cool. And, 
you know, I like to keep it positive. I think I think that that's something that was, uh, you know, most kids never have that. And for me, for going for my fourth state title, having that whole behind the scenes stuff the entire season is, you know, that's something that you know you can't you can't buy that anywhere. So that's actually really cool. So out of high school, you signed with Ohio State. It would seem natural since you were a high-profile guy from Ohio. However, the program wasn't in the position that it currently is. And traditionally, most of the big studs from St. Ed's went to other schools. So why did you choose Ohio State, and uh, who else did you strongly consider? Um, I had offers from Oklahoma State, uh, Penn State, Northwestern, Iowa, um, and Ohio State. Those were my, my top ones. Um, I wasn't really a fan of Michigan, so I kind of knew that, you know, I didn't want to leave them hanging and kind of drag them through the mud. So I like McFarland a lot, but at the time it just wasn't the place I really wanted to be. So, you know, I told them thanks anyway, but I'd like to stay, you know, stay closer to home. And and I kind of took a I took a visit, actually. My only official visit other than Ohio State was to Penn State. And, uh you know, Penn State was awesome. It was great, but the the coaching staff and the team wasn't really – it was people I got along with, but I didn't know if it was the place for me. When I went to Ohio State one time, it wasn't even on my official visit. Went there, visited, hung out with Mitch Clark, Jaggers, John Stone. And I was like, this is a place where I can get along with these guys. These guys are all awesome. They're all down to earth. It's my style of a school. And – it's a team that is just just wanting to be great and just waiting for the right things to happen. And right after I signed with Ohio State, the end when I graduated high school, the coaching staff took a huge turn, and that's when uh, Hellison resigned, and that's mm-hmm. when Tom Ryan got the job, and uh, Lou Roselli and Joe Haskett and Tommy Rollins at the time. So I was like, wow, this is perfect. You know, I had the ability that I could leave since the coaching staff changed. But I decided to stay because I knew Ohio State was where I wanted to be, and I knew that I could be a pillar of this new generation of Ohio State wrestling. And that's basically what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were a guy that competed without ever taking a red shirt. How did that decision come about? You know, years later, after seeing how Tom Ryan operates, I think we've learned that if there's potentially a weak spot in the lineup, he's not going to leave it weak by red shirting a tough freshman. Yeah, I think that was the biggest reason we were at a we were at a crossroads as a team and a program. And for you know, for me, I told him that I was confident to start. I knew the first half of the year would probably be tough because it's a it's a transition period of learning the the college style of wrestling and being able to compete with the best guys in the country when you're 19 years old you know, competing with 23-year-olds who had a redshirt year, an Olympic year, a medical redshirt. Like, there's plenty of guys out there that are, you know, big and strong and tough, but I, I had the confidence and know I had the ability to adapt and be able to to take over at that weight class. So um, I had a wrestle-off with Jason Johnstone. I ended up winning that wrestle-off. Um, and then he went up to 157. Jaggers went down to 141, and, you know, we had a great season as a team. I think we took 10th as a team, and that was, like, that was one of our worst years out of the four years that I was there. So it was really uh, – it was actually awesome to see the beginning of this Tom Ryan era, you know, with a 10th place finish. And uh, 
kind of playing off what you were saying, one thing that impressed me uh, I discovered while researching a project last year is looking at some of your losses early that freshman season. Uh, by my count, you had nine before the first of the year. And uh, some of the guys that would probably surprise people if I mentioned their names. So to me, it showed you had a great amount of mental toughness. Uh, there have been a lot of talented wrestlers that have lost a few matches early on in their freshman season and were never able to get past that. Just talk about getting through that time of your career. I knew, I mean, nobody wants to lose, but I knew going into that, I was about 152 pounds wrestling at 149. I knew I easily could have made 141, um, but I knew I was going to grow and there was no reason to try and cut my body down during that freshman season. So it was one of those things where I had to just stay strong in there, keep adapting, trust the system of the coaching staff, and I knew it was all going to work out in the end. Uh, I just had to be patient. And I started after the first of the year was kind of where I turned it on, and I only lost three matches, I think, from January all the way to the national tournament. And uh, that was something that, you know, I was proud of. I never wanted to lose. I mean, I lost six matches my entire high school career, so it's not really something I was used to, but it was something that, you know, you have to lose in order to learn your mistakes sometimes. Sometimes you can get by winning and making the same mistakes, but when you get to that top competition, they don't let you make those mistakes and get away with it, so it, it helps you grow and learn in any competition. So you finished your first collegiate season as a 10 seed at Nationals, and as an All-American in fourth place, how was that first experience for you at the national tournament? Um, and, you know, were you happy with the fourth place finish? It was a great experience. I wasn't happy with my fourth place finish. Uh, I made it to the semifinals as a freshman. I beat uh, J.P. O'Connor in the quarterfinals, I think it was. Uh, or, or actually, no, I think it was Matt Coughlin from Indiana. And, uh it was a close match, but it was a great match. So I grinded out and got the win. And going into the semifinals, I wrestled a guy that I had lost to that year and beat that year, uh, Josh Torella. And, you know, I, I just didn't wrestle a great match. And that's a guy I knew I could beat. I had beat him once at Michigan that year in the dual meet. And it's one of those things that kind of always is going to burn because you know that you beat the guy and you know that you can beat him again. You just don't have your best performance, and if they do, then they're going to beat you at that time. So, you know, the national tournament is so crazy. Seeds don't mean anything, and, uh, you know, it depends all on your performance of each match. I mean, the best guy doesn't always win the national tournament, but the best guy on that day does. So, I mean, I... I feel that I could have been in the national finals as a freshman wrestling Gregor Gillespie in the finals. As a sophomore, you were part of what was likely the toughest weight class in NCAA history. You managed to finish eight. Did you realize at the time how tough of a group of guys those were? And just how was it battling a new stud each week? You know, the Big Ten and the college season are grinding up on its own. But uh, even more so when you're dealing with Brent Metcalf, Dustin Slater, Bubba Jenkins, Kyle Uchel, Ryan Lang, that's just your own conference. Yeah, I mean, it was awesome to be a part of that and kind of have that competition. But, um, you know, also 
I felt that I could beat all those guys. Those are all guys that I've beat. Um, I mean, I don't think there was one of those guys that I never beat. I beat Schlater before. I beat Matt Calf after that. Uh, I beat Burroughs. I beat Caldwell. Um, I mean, there's all guys, every single person that was competing that year and everyone that placed in that top eight at nationals that year, I had beaten before or after that. So, you know, going into the tournament, I was confident. My sophomore year was honestly a rough year, and for me to take eighth place was not the best mentally for me. I wasn't happy with the placement, but um, I also wasn't, you know, there was a lot of close calls that happened when I wrestled Metcalf in the quarterfinals. There was a takedown that I still believe today that I should have had, and he was grabbing my singlet, keeping me from getting around the side, and I still had to because he had his hand down, and it was at the end of the third period, and, you know, Coach Heskett had my back to the end with that, him and uh, Mike Zadek almost got in a fist fight after the match in the back, but, I mean, it's <laughs> stuff like that where your your coach has your back, and they, they feel for you, and they know that, you know, you're, you work your butt off all year long, and to be in a position where whether you get hosed or not, you know, you got to make the match – you know, controlled enough to where there's no close calls like that. But at the highest level of wrestling in college, you're going to get close calls, and that's the way it is. And it just didn't go my way. But if I win that match, I'm in the, you know, I'm in the semifinals against, you know, you know, a, a guy who I think I could beat. You know, he wrestled uh, Burroughs, and I had beaten Burroughs earlier that year. So I felt that it was a match I could win if I just got past Metcalf and I knew I could beat Metcalf. I always had really close matches with him and I knew it was a guy that I was eventually going to beat at some point because my matches were close with him. I knew that I had the horsepower and the strength to go with him and the cardio. It was just not giving up those takedowns. And that was always my kryptonite was giving up an early takedown against him. And so your junior season, the Buckeyes came out and gave Iowa a big run for their money, losing by a few points at nationals. Uh, this was a tournament where you finished fourth. Is this a tough one to look back on since the team was in such good place to possibly win their first team title in school history? My junior year? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my junior year, we took, what did we take, second? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we took second my sophomore year, second my junior year. Uh, you know, both of those years were really close. I think my junior year, we were even closer. I think Colt Sponseller was one win away from placing, and that would have put us in first place. Um, I mean, but it's a team effort, not, you know, it's not the blame on one person or the other, but, you know, imagine if Colt would have won his match to place, and then we're steamrolling through because we still have him in there scoring points for us. Um, but, yeah, that was, a, that was a tough year for everyone. I mean, I, I took fourth that year. I didn't place how I wanted to. Uh, my goal every year was to win a national title, and it didn't matter who was in front of me. It was just something I wanted to do. But, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out that way. And as a senior, one of the biggest, if not the biggest match in your college career took place in the Big Ten Finals. Uh, late, you're against Brent Metcalf. Late in the third, you get in a scramble with him. Not only you get the takedown, you also get the backs, ride him out for the win. You're obviously excited afterwards. Uh, talk about that match and just uh, the emotions that went through. It was a great match just to get over the hump, honestly, because I knew I could beat him, and I knew that it was just, you know, 
getting in those scrambles at the end of the match was going to be something that was very important. I didn't care if he shot. I was just going to go for it. Um, you know, I had the escape. There was a scramble during the match, too, that was questionable where I hit a Gramby and I actually escaped, but I had a double leg locked up. So I went from a Gramby into a double leg and he was out of bounds and I had my hands locked. And then he locked his hands and they ended up giving him locking hands, but I was still on bottom. So instead of giving me the one point and the locking hands, that I was still down. And so, you know, there was a lot of controversial stuff that went on every time I wrestled Matt Calf. But uh, that match, I just, you know, I knew that if I got him in a scramble that I could out overpower him in that scramble. He wasn't a scrambler, and that's what we saw in my junior year in the finals against Caldwell. He, uh, you know, he couldn't scramble with Caldwell. He didn't have, you know, he didn't have that athleticism, and uh, you know that kind of cost him that match too. So I knew that that was kind of the recipe was to make it dirty and you know not technically wrestle him, but out scramble him. And I knew I was able to do that. And so later, you made the NCAA finals and had a rematch with him. Um, it was sort of an anticlimactic match. He took you down early and appeared to torque your knee pretty good and got the 3-2 win. What are your recollections from that match? Yeah, he tweaked my knee on that very first takedown, and the ref didn't stop it. Um, I was trying to get an injury timeout right away, and for some reason the ref just stood there and let the match go for 45 seconds of riding time until he called it. And then, you know, that one-point riding time was the match. You know, mm-hmm. it was it was just one of those things where I don't know what the hell the ref was thinking the whole time. I was calling for, you know, injury time right after that. He saw that my knee got tweaked on the takedown because uh, Metcalf kind of cranked it as he finished the takedown there, and I was on bottom. And honestly, I don't know what he was, what he was doing, but that one-point riding time was what cost me the match. I knew Metcalf wasn't going to choose bottom. You know, I knew he was going to go on his feet. And uh, he didn't want to make any mistakes, so he really didn't do anything in the match either. So uh, after I tweaked my knee in the first period, it was kind of hard to come back from that with being able to hit my knee on shots. And I took a couple explosive shots, but I wasn't able to recover back to my feet very fast, and I didn't want to give up any more points. So uh, that's basically what happened. And so I mentioned earlier I was working on a project and looking at your career I was researching the 15 best wrestlers to not have won an NCAA title in the first 15 years of the 2000s. Your name was on that list. Being six years after your collegiate career has ended now, is that something you're able to appreciate being mentioned with guys like Brian Snyder and John Trenge and Nick Simmons and so forth? Yeah, I think I think it's cool. I think it'd be a lot cooler to just won a national title. <laughs> sure. That's something that you'll never get, but I've, all the work that I put in over the years, I feel like that's something that I deserve, but you never deserve anything. You only, you know, you only deserve what you earn and I never earned that. So, uh, but it's cool to be on that list with all those guys, but you know, being a four time all American was special to me, but when it came down to it, being a national champion was even more important to me and it's something I never achieved. And that's kind of what kept the fire burning to go into MMA and, and win championships and something else. Is there an achievement of yours wrestling-wise that stands out the most to you or means the most to you, uh, you know, four-time Ohio State champ, senior national champ, four-time All-American, Big Ten champ, finalist, Um, or something else? I mean, the Big Ten title definitely stands out because 
I, uh, you know, I was able to get that win over Metcalf, which was, it was important to me at that point because I had lost four matches before that to him. And, um, you know, he, we were five and one, he was five and one against me and losing those five matches to him were, were all pretty close within three or four points. And it was something that was very important to me to get the win and finally win a big 10 title, which is my last shot. But if I could trade that for an NCAA title two weeks later, I would have done that nine times out of 10. Okay. So a couple fun questions. Is there anyone from your wrestling career that you'd like to see in the cage for an MMA fight and why? Uh, like for me to fight him? Yeah. Uh, I don't really know. MMA is so different from wrestling. Like the the guys that I hated going against in wrestling, it wouldn't. It was just because it was a wrestling match. When it comes down to fighting, you know, I don't have a, I don't have like a preference of who I want to fight or who I, who I'd want to be in the cage with. It doesn't really matter to me. Okay, so I have to ask, what is it about the Columbus weather? Is there something that I don't know? It's the middle of winter. The Buckeye wrestlers, dating back to your days competing, always seem to have such a nice bronze skin tone. You know, what's going on over there? It's uh, it's the old saying, look good, feel good, do good. So if you, uh-huh. you know, that you got to get that vitamin D, you got to gotta feel good. So we go get some, you know, get some fake tans and, and, uh, you know, go sit in the tanning bed for a couple of weeks before the big tournaments, big tens and nationals. And that's mainly what it is. I think, uh, I think also when you're, you know, when you're in a white singlet, you can't be whiter than the white singlet. So that was probably, (laughs) that was probably Tom Ryan's fault though, for having a white singlet. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned earlier the pin documentary, uh, one thing it shows you doing is wrestling around with the bears now, my wife watched that with me, and you've forever been known as the bear wrestling guy. So we may watch one of your fights, or even when I told her I'm talking to you today, I said, Lance Palmer. She looks at me funny. Then goes, oh, is that the bear wrestling guy? Uh, so t- talk about your experience with the large animals growing up. I've just been, I mean, I've been around bears, lions, wolves my whole life. So um, that was just something that we did. My dad trained the animals people were able to get their pictures with them at state fairs and outdoor shows and uh you know they did commercials with them and a bunch of other stuff they traveled around the country with them and until it was illegal to do and until PETA was kind of you know all over people who owned exotic animals so it's something i grew up with it was something that was just normal to me okay that's all i have is there anything else that people need to know about lance the party palmer No, I think that's pretty much it. I think we covered a good amount. Okay, be sure to tune in and support your fellow wrestler Lance Palmer as he tries to regain his featherweight title on July 30th. Thanks again for joining us today, Lance. Thank you. Have a good one. All right, once again, thanks to Lance Palmer for talking with us on Sudden History. Before you go, remember to check out all the shows on the Matt Talk Podcast Network, especially Short Time or Jason recently talked with Ray Brinzer. Nothing else needs to be said. Ray Brinzer. As always, if you want to get a hold of me on Twitter, it's at D1CW, and for the podcast, it's at Sudden History. And, like we always do, let's let Greg Jones close out another episode. How the hell do I get off this stage? With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, 
sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.